Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, everyone. I'm Mitch Donitz, and you're listening to Sorry Partner. Hello, and welcome to Sorry Partner, a weekly podcast about bridge and all things interesting to bridge players. Brought to you by Bridge Partners and Friends, Catherine Harris and Jocelyn Starts. On today's program, we talk with American champion Mitch Dunnitz about his passion for bridge and his quest to save the game. Plus, he shares his top tip for developing players. But first, let's kibitz. Hi, partner. Hi, partner. How are you, Catherine? Jocelyn, I am great. How are you? Well, I'm good. Now, didn't you go out of town on a vacation? I was out of town for a couple of days, had a very nice time. I'm back, though I'm very much missing being out of town because we were in a very lovely spot, a seaside town in a fairly remote location. So it was just very peaceful and and lovely. Yeah. That sounds dreamy. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now, I assume you didn't play any bridge one did you <laughs> well Jocelyn you know me pretty well so you know that if there was a bridge game to be found I would have found it you were gonna find it and I did I did so finding a game was not easy I had to call around I called the local letting agency where we rented our accommodation and they suggested trying the local news agency which is you know they sell magazines and sure yeah. what have you And then they suggested calling the pub. And so I called the pub and someone there said, I think that there's some women who meet here once a week. And I asked if she could track them down. And then I got a phone call from a very nice lady (laughs) who organizes this group of women who play there once a week. And to call it a pub is not quite fair because 
it's much more than that. It's like a local venue. There's also a restaurant and there's lawn bowls there and all sorts of facilities. So it's a little bit of like a community center, but there is mm-hmm. a very large bar as well. And the bridge game was set up in this this bar and I was told that I would be welcome to come along. And so come along, I, I did. I, I went along. The game started at 11 a.m. and finished at approximately six and people were were very nice it was such a great experience this this venue is it's hard to explain because it's both very unexceptional but also just superb it's this huge bar I mean it's it's every (laughs) cliche you can imagine about a huge bar but like I said like a community venue and so there's windows everywhere so you're sitting in what looks like a suburban bar but you look out and there's kangaroos hopping around oh wow yeah it's quite a wacky experience but it was very lovely and they were they were super nice because I imagine there aren't often visitors to their group and they were very welcoming and kind so I really appreciated that how many tables were there oh tables no 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 so there's two tables but this is just like a round robin I I actually couldn't keep track of what was going on it was just hand by hand it wasn't duplicate or anything. And a real range of skill and, you know, some people played some conventions and some people didn't know what they were talking about. And, yeah, so <laughs> it's mostly a social game. Let's put it that way. Mostly a social game. And I think they all chip in a little bit of money and then the winners pay for a breakfast or something. I wasn't quite sure how that arrangement worked. A breakfast or some cocktails? <laughs> Maybe. I, I, I wasn't clear, but they were very kind. and insisted that I didn't have to pay as a visitor which was which was super sweet of them. yeah yeah so it was, it was really great and um you'll enjoy this they play from 11 till 6 and the drinking starts at around 4 and I I know this because <laughs> I was going to have to leave soon after and so chose not to order a glass of wine but <laughs> everyone was you know having something to drink around that time but when I did have to leave and I told them I was going to have to leave early and when I got up to leave one woman said Oh, that's okay. You can be our Elvis. Your Elvis? Yes. So it turns out that one of the members of the group had to move away. This was, I think, even a couple of years prior. And she had loved Elvis. And so from that point forward, whenever anyone had to leave early, they were designated the Elvis because Elvis has left the building. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked up the origin of that phrase. I'm sure most people know they've heard that expression, Elvis has left the building. I've heard it, but I don't know where it's from. Okay, well, I'll just read you this thing I found online. Elvis has left the building used to be announced at the end of Elvis Presley's concerts to encourage his hysterical fans to accept that there'd be no further encores and to go home. It's now widely used to indicate that someone has made an exit or that something is complete. (laughs) The first known use of Elvis has left the building was printed in the Detroit Times on November 23 in 1956. So there you are. Wow. I'm so glad to have learned something. It is always so fun when you're on vacation or traveling for work to go and play in the local club. I know we've talked about this on previous episodes, and I think it's something that everyone should try to experience because you get you get a taste of the of the local culture in a way that you otherwise might not while you're on vacation there or traveling for other reasons. Try as you might to to sample the local culture. Doing a bridge game is really a fantastic way 
to do it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And while we're on it, I would like to give a shout out to these ladies. So thank you very much to Barbara and Chris and Diane and Ellie and Jan and Joe and Joan and Jocelyn. No. Yes. (laughs) And Kay and Lynn and Robin, you are also welcoming and kind. And I I really appreciate it. And I had a, a great afternoon and Hopefully I'll be back and I look forward to seeing you all again at some point in the future. So great. So So great. great. Wow. Well, yeah. Very inspiring, Catherine. (laughs) So as ever, Jocelyn, I have delved into the mailbag and we have some letters if you would like me to share them with you. Oh, yes, please. Okay. Well, on the theme of community, we have a lovely letter from Robin in Melbourne, Australia. And this is called Bridge Knitting and Baking. Robin writes, Because we usually play the hands quite quickly, I started taking my knitting to the club so I'd have something to do between rounds. I have knitted 20 jumpers for Americans. They're sweaters. I have knitted 20 of them (laughs) and have knitted or crocheted several blankets for babies and adults, all while playing bridge. The items are mostly for a charity organization specializing in homelessness. I have struck up many wonderful conversations with other players who also happen to knit and crochet. I also enjoy baking and bring baked goods to the club. I often make something extra when I'm cooking for Shabbat, which is the Sabbath on a Friday night for Jewish people. The director loves my cakes, biscuits and challah, which is a kind of bread. He puts them on a plate along with other snacks and they're usually gone within five minutes. (laughs) Yeah, they would be. (laughs) They would be, yeah. They would be. That's lovely, Robin. Thanks for sharing that. That's interesting. Yeah, I've seen people knitting, crocheting, etc. at Bridge and it's pretty impressive that they're able to multitask, you know, focus on the cards, have something in their hands. So they're doing it actually while they're playing because I got the impression maybe Robin was doing it between rounds, though. I don't know. I'm trying to remember exactly, but I believe that the knitting needles were always in this particular person's hand. And I think she used a card holder so that she could have more more ability to multitask with the knitting and and the bridge playing. But I can't imagine being able to do that. It just seems so distracting. No, it's all I can do to hold my cards. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, Robin, that's very nice and nice that you're doing it for a cause. And thanks for sharing that story. And I have another letter for you. This is a short one from Mike. And I'm not sure where Mike's from. I think he's American, but I'm not sure what city. Mike writes, in a club game, one table was loudly discussing a hand that they'd just played. My partner who was generally reserved, spoke up and said in a voice the entire room could hear, if you insist on discussing a hand, please provide a board number. That silenced the offenders. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite the solution. I appreciate that. That's great. Yeah, I didn't quite catch that. So was the finesse on? Or (laughs) what should I leave? (laughs) So if you have any fun stories about playing bridge while you're on vacation or about multitasking while at the bridge table or really any funny story related to bridge, 
please do send them to us at sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or via Instagram at sorrypartnerpodcast or leave us a voice message. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app or on the website or wherever you like to listen. Coming up next, our interview with Mitch Dunnitz. Hi, I'm Mitch from Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and I'm a listener supporter of Sorry Partner. What I love about the show is that it takes bridge seriously, but it doesn't take it too seriously. It's a lot of fun anecdotes and comments from the interviewers, and they ask great questions. They really keep the tone fun, but you learn a lot and have fun learning it. Here's how I supported the show. I went to their website and found a link on how to support the show, and it was very easy. If you're thinking about supporting the show, please do. We want to keep it on the air. American champion Mitch Dunnitz is a Grand Life Master. He has represented the U.S. at the World Bridge Series and at the World Championships and has won two North American Bridge Championships. He is the chairman of the ACBL Hall of Fame Committee, the ACBL Chairman on Disciplinary Matters, and the former chairman of the Anti-Cheating Committee. He is a trustee of the ACBL Educational Foundation and serves as the Foundation's Development Co-Chair. He also mentors junior players and created a Bridge Education Foundation that pays college students to teach other college students to play. We began by asking if he'd had any interesting hands lately. I've had many interesting hands, but there's a couple I'd like to discuss with you. The first one is I was playing at a regional and the bidding went two no Trump on my right, three no Trump on my left, and now my right hand opponent bid five clubs. And it was clear no one at the table had any idea what was going on. And I was looking at seven or eight high card points and thinking, this can't be bad. I wonder what's going to happen. Anyway, the person on my left bid five diamonds and the person on my right bid six no Trump. Six no Trump could have made, but it didn't. And that wasn't interesting. What is interesting to me is in the language of bridge, I'd heard something, even though I've been playing for almost 50 years, that I'd never heard before. So when the hand was over, I asked my right hand opponent what their logic was. And they said, well, I had 27 high card points, so they shouldn't have opened two no, but I had 27 (laughs) high card points and I had all four aces. So if I wanted to know how many aces partner had, I would have bid four clubs, but I was really interested in the number of kings, so I bid five clubs. And I just thought that was beautiful. Someone had created their own language in the language of bridge, and I had never heard it before. So that that was one hand I enjoyed immensely. The second hand was one of the best hands I've ever seen. You hold 10 solid, singleton ace, singleton king, and singleton small. And I've discussed with a few partners over the years what would happen if you opened a bidding for no Trump. And I've actually never had that happen. But with a couple people, we have the agreement that we would respond uh, with the number of aces, which seems to be logical. Of course, who really sits down and discusses this? Anyway, the person I was playing with at that time, uh, was, this was online, we did not have any agreement. And I knew there was danger here because the question was, we were playing 1430 and whether they would think it was a 1430 auction or whether it was straight aces, zero, one, two, three. 
So it was probably foolish of me to bid for no Trump because I didn't know what the answer would be, but I really didn't know what else to do. And I did that. And I'm not really big on finger pointing after the fact with my partners. That's not my style. But it was an interesting catch-22 kind of problem. Do I do this? Do I open one spade? Anyway, I bid four now. He bid five clubs. I thought he'd absent discussion. He'd be showing one. I bid six spades. I went down one. Oh. Now, there was two funny things about this. The first one was the opponents were cold for six hearts. Oh. That was funny. But the second thing was I was discussing with a few other experts afterwards. And one of my friends, Rick Roder, who we call the dog walker, because this guy loves to have big hands, <laughs> walk them slowly and get doubled. And uh, I said, I can't believe you didn't open two spades with this hand. <laughs> if you open two spades and it gets passed out, it's the greatest story in the history of your bridge game. And if it doesn't get passed out because the opponents are got great distribution, you can keep bidding spades and eventually one of them will double you off. Anyway, I didn't do very well in this hand. And I think I had a very good score for the for the session, but I think we got about 20% for six spades down one. So I perpetrated this uh, nightmare on my partner. How did it go at some other tables? I'm just curious. Um, I didn't look at that, but I'm sure they weren't as sick as I was. So uh, <laughs> Two clubs followed by spades, spades. Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of people play that two clubs foul partner bids two diamonds and you jump to four of a major is maybe this kind of hand. It's a hand that really isn't that rich in high cards, but you have enough strength to force the game. Now, the problem is I was fearful if I opened two clubs, my partner would look like a scattering 12 count or something like that. And the next thing we'd be in six no trump, which might have worked out. But again, what I thought I needed to know was aces. So I rejected two clubs, although I think it's quite reasonable. One spade is reasonable because the hand's not going to get passed out. Two clubs is reasonable. And uh, this one of the things that's delicious about bridge is that there's so many things. There's no correct answer. There's lots of approaches. And uh, some people, I could give this to some of my partners and say, your such and such bid is automatic. No one would have said that about this one, but they'd all say, oh my. But there's a lot of different approaches and opening two clubs certainly would have worked better on this hand. One of the problems, and by the way, I was red on white, vulnerable against non-vulnerable opponents. And one of the problems with this kind of a hand is you want to buy the hand. Even if you belong in six spades, you want to buy the hand and you could get a above average score for being in five spades making six because if the opponents have a cheap save, you're not going to do well. So, there, you know, sometimes there's a psychology in bridge and poker in bridge, and this is one of those kinds of hands. Most of the time, it's, it's not that way, but there is strong elements of that from time to time. And buying the hand with this kind of a hand is really, when you're red on white, is important. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you at bridge? The funniest thing was the story. I, I was dating my wife. It's a long time ago. She decided to take bridge lessons. She finishes her first set of bridge lessons. And we go to the bridge week and uh, we're playing the side game. And her mother, who is a bridge player, is kibitzing. And we're defending two spades. And I led the 10 of diamonds. And Declare won the ace of diamonds and now took a trump finesse. I won the trump king and I played the deuce of diamonds. My then girlfriend in front of my future mother-in-law, won the king of diamonds and looked all around. She had no idea what to do. She's looking at the ceiling. She's looking under the table, nowhere. And I can just see where this is going. I'm trying to be patient and calm. And finally, she switches suits so I don't get my rough. The hand ends. I said, Joe, 
in bridge, we play high, low with an even number. And I led the 10 of diamonds. And then I got in and I played the two of diamonds. So when you got in with the king, you should have known I had an even number and returned a diamond so I could rough it. And she looked at me and she said, I have a confession to make. And I said, what's that? She said, I only count the majors. So she won the post more of it. Is that great? That's great. And of course, I was trying to be as good a partner as I, I could be. And my mother-in-law was rolling her eyes at her and I'm restrained. And it was just, it was just beautiful. That's very funny. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What's the biggest schlamozzle you've ever made at the table? The biggest mistake? Yeah, schlamozzle, muck-up oh, mistake. I don't know. I've, I've made so many. And it's usually I'm not paying attention. There's, a, There'd probably be a book, be like an encyclopedia with all my mistakes. But I will, I will share an answer that's not really answering your question. And that is, I'm writing a book with Bob Hammond. And I asked him, what is the worst mistake an expert's ever made at the table with you? And the answer to that is, He's in a slam and he has no way to get to the dummy. An expert leads the jack of spades. And that gives him an entry not only to take a couple winners from the dummy, but also to squeeze this guy's partner and now a slam in the world championship makes. Okay. The two people this happened against, I'm not going to mention their names, friends of mine, start <laughs> bickering with each other in a and they were known for bickering. So three or four months goes by, and now Hammond is playing against the same pair. And before the match starts, he pulls a jack of spades out of his pocket, hands it to the guy's partner and says, you better hold on to this. <laughs> yeah, Bob was talking about his pockets a lot on the podcast with us, <laughs> putting cards in his pocket and wandering off to the bar. Yeah, that's uh, a true story. That's true. Yeah. Ralph Katz, another dear friend of mine, described him long ago as the Babe Ruth of Bridge. I think that's really accurate. But he's also a Damon Runyon character. He's larger than life in so many ways. He's a jewel. Is there a particular tournament that's your absolute favorite place to play? 
My favorite tournament for many years was the Reno tournament they used to have between Christmas and New Year's. And that was fun because we were all on vacation from work. We'd stay up late gambling after we would play. There was even a bowling alley there. And it was just an adventure every year. Aside from that, I would say that playing in any of the world championships is the most exciting because you're getting the creme de la creme from all over the world. And there's just an intensity level. You you just you can't be beat. You've played with Ifti Bakai for what sounds like 40 plus years. What's the secret to such a long-term successful partnership? First of all, I think I'm just really lucky. I mean, he is a remarkable player and an even better person. Rich players live in two universes. We live in a real world universe and we live in, a, live in an alternate universe. And when you jump into the bridge universe, you're sacrificing time with your spouse or significant other or your kids, if you have kids, and it better be worth it. So Ifti Bakai, for example, Ross Grable, Mark Itabashi, and I could name half a dozen other people, Mark Perlmutter, Rick Roder, blah, 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 Jill Myers, blah, all these people I've played with. The goal is I want to do well in bridge, but what really keeps us going is we're all very close friends away from the bridge table. In fact, my eldest daughter just got married and all these people were at the wedding and they've made my life richer. So the answer is I'm around people I want to be around. I'm very lucky that way. My students, same thing. I've got some amazing students. We laugh and giggle. We have nice dinners when we go. And this is one of the extraordinary things about bridge that's different than, let's say, chess. I heard Joe Grew on your interview, who's one of the one of the best players in the world and one of the nicest guys in bridge, say, I root for people to do well against me. They got everything. Sure, you know, if we play bridge nine times out of 10, I'm going to probably do better than you. But the 10th time is going to be lights out. When I was about 20 years old, I played in a local regional. I won my first two matches, and my third round opponents were Giorgio Belladonna and Benito Garazzo. You know, the match was over before it started because I all <laughs> I could think about was, my God, I'm playing against these two guys. And the thing is, they probably would have been happy for me, who knows, if, if I'd had some success against them. But that's the way I view it, just like Joe Grew does. I want to win. I'm going to try hard to win. But if you try your hardest, you know what? You put your pants on the same way I do. And if you read the British world for many years and you read the accounts of the world championships or whatever, you'll see mistake after mistake after mistake being made. So, I mean, another way of looking at bridge is it's very much like tennis. The difference between the very creme de la creme and the next level or the next level or the next level is who makes the most unforced errors? I mean, there's a luck element, but who beats the ball into the net more? And if someone beats me, I'm happy for them, to a point. What might Ifti or another one of your regular partners say that they think is your greatest strength at the game of bridge? I think they would all say I'm a fine player, but I'm a, a fine partner. And, you know, I've had low moments in the past where I wasn't a good partner, like we probably all have. And at some point, I made that a mission. So I would say that my partners all, if I make a mistake, I'll diffuse by saying I made a mistake, diffuse tension. But aside from that, I'm rooting for my partners. I'm always rooting for them to get the play right or do their best. So regardless of how we do, I think most of my partners would say it was a time well spent. 
It was not a good walk spoiled. It was a time well spent. Have there ever been any partnerships where you were working really hard to make it work and it just didn't work? I've had ups and downs with a few of my partners and no two people bid exactly the way. I mean, the goal, I, I don't think you can ever, maybe Steve Weinstein and Bobby Levin think exactly like, and I'm not sure you'd have to ask them, but people generally think differently. But the most important thing is understanding what your partner's doing and thinking about what's in their head. So for example, with a couple of my partners, they might be more aggressive bidders than I am. So therefore, when they make a bid, I have to judge whether or not to play them for full values or not. And I tend to be more of a down-the-middle player, so they can rely on me to have a down-the-middle hand. Ifty, for example, we will joke about the fact that if a more aggressive bid would have worked out better, that it's too bad that I have the hand, or if a less aggressive hand uh, was there, we'd say, too bad the other one didn't have it. I've worked on partnerships with people where you don't have the same idea about constructive bidding. That's very difficult. You know, sometimes you just, you have good chemistry with some people and you don't have with others. And I've gone through with some people where I've tried to work out a partnership where I've hired a coach to help smooth over the differences and it just hasn't been successful. It's tough. I mean, you, you guys, when you guys are, you guys have the same issues. Everyone has the same issues. And as you get older, you're probably less willing to put up with some of the aggravation of being when you're wrong and it's a brutally bad result, you know, it brings, it can bring out the worst in people. So I think it's harder to find partners as you get older who think like you. And I actually, the people I play with the most, we all bid a little differently and we giggle about, you know, who would bid what with what hand. And I'll give you an example, uh, Mark Itabashi, who I play a lot with, he thinks that one of my partners bids too much and another one of my partners, and we all play with each other, bids too little. And so the joke is if he thinks I bid too much, I'll say, well, I'll give this hand to so-and-so who he thinks bids too much. And he'll say, why bother? Very curtly. <laughs> and it's funny because I'm needling him and he doesn't realize what he does. But anyway, but that's, it's hard. You know, you want to get someone who a who you enjoy being with. So because if you go to a bridge tournament and you're playing, it's not just the seven hours a day that you're playing bridge, you're spending valuable time away from it in that alternate universe, away from your family. You want to be with someone who A, you enjoy being with and B, you have good chemistry at the table. What might Mark Itabashi or Ifti Makai say is your weakest area of the game? Probably I'm too chatty and friendly with the opponents. <laughs> Ifti would say that for sure. But I think... <laughs> And Ross Grable's another one, another dear friend of mine I play a lot with. They all think I'm too chatty and too friendly. <laughs> Are you a superstitious bridge player? Not particularly. One of the amusing things that some bridge players have is whether they'll sit east-west or north-south or seating rights when they want to have those. I never care about that. The only thing I don't want to do is play at the table against non-bathers. And there are a few people who don't bathe on a regular basis, and I want my teammates at their <laughs> table. I could name names, but I won't. We've heard from a number of experts and professionals in the bridge community that they're concerned about the future of bridge. What do you think is the most important thing that we can be doing to keep bridge alive? Bridge in its heyday was entertainment, let's say during the Depression, after the Depression. No one had any money. They played cards. The world has changed. There's video games. There's poker. We have so many things that compete 
for people's time. You and I know what a special game bridge is, but we need to get the people in high school and college, teach them now so that the later when they have a game night or they're looking for an activity where they can do something with another person, unlike streaming or playing video games, which you typically do by yourself, they have bridge in their pocket. So if they go to a game night 10 or 15 years after they learn, they can remember how to play. They can play Scrabble, a different game. They can play bridge. But, you know, bridge is will stand that alone on its merits if you teach them when they're young. We teach people in Michael Rosenberg's program that's now run by Alex Glesnick and basically the joys of card play. That's what needs to be stressed. It's puzzle solving. It's fun. Everyone likes to do that. And just like people will do crossword puzzles, there's no reason why if we teach them the mechanics of the game of bridge, they uh, they can't get that going as well. Mitch, do you have a favorite convention or gadget that you like to play? I want to bid the limit of the hand quickly. And so I think mixed races is the single most important thing to play. You want to bid the limit of your hand right away, put the pressure on the opponents, and I would encourage anyone to play mixed races. People spend too much time on their constructive auctions, and the winning is how you compete and your judgment in competing. So something else that I like, so you asked for one, I'm giving you two, is a transfer structure after either a major opening in a takeout double or a major overcall by your partner in a negative double. Playing mixed raises, playing a transfer structure, there's many more hands in those situations that you actually, uh, you can describe that you can't describe as the opponent's do bid. So it's, it's a weird situation where the competition actually helps you. If you are playing against me most of the time and you bid slowly and, and you describe your hand perfectly, I'm going to usually find the right lead and I'm going to have, I'm going to have a, an idea of your hand earlier than I should. What about conventions or gadgets that you're less a fan of? I think what, the important thing is sometimes it's important to keep the opponent guessing and not make it easier for them to defend. So I'm not a fan of short suit game tries. I mean, if I think game is in the picture, I want to jump to game and I want to make the opponent's guess of how to defend. I don't want to make it easy on them. I want to put pressure on them in any way I can. So I'm not a fan of short suit game tries. One of the, the other things I don't like is one of my partners likes to play a suction defense after a forcing club or two clubs. I don't like that at all because I want to know what if we're going to try and preempt after someone has a big hand, I want to know what the hands are right away. And this might be an effective tool against weaker players, but I want to cater my game against experts. And I don't think that that gets the job done. What is suction? Can you, without giving us a whole lesson about it, just can you give us an example briefly? Yes. Let's say I'm playing against you and you open a forcing club. And if I'm playing suc- suction, then one a one diamond over call would show either hearts or the two touching suits above that. Okay, I'm fine with two suited overcalls where you know the suits right away, but this year you're going to be somewhat limited because where you hurt people opening a club is when you can jump to the three or four level. So you're not vulnerable. They open a club and now you you make some kind of descriptive bid. And let's say there's a double on by the next hand. If your partner can jump to three or four level, that's really difficult to handle against the force and clubbers. But if it's just you're bidding one hard and the partner bids two hearts, you know, I play force and club with one of my partners and uh, we don't have any problem dealing with that. What's the best bridge advice or tip that you've ever been given? Mike Moss once told me that I would have better results if I'd be more of an asshole. I never followed that advice. <laughs> 
my goal as a bridge player is to be, become 1% better every year. Okay, made by students, the goal is to be 3 or 5% better. But the one thing I will absolutely work my very hardest to is to be the best partner I can be. And I will not make a face or nod my head and discourage or do anything like that. If I've got something to say to my partner, I'm going to do it away from the table. I'm not going to give the opponents a psychological edge by me criticizing my partner in front of them. And I'm not going to create any distress for my partner. I play with a lot of different people. I'm friends with each and every one of them. And I want to treat them the way I want to be treated. If a mistake has been made, let's say by my partner, they're the first person who knows about it. So they don't need to see me shake my head. Your goal in bridge, aside from the joy of the game and everything we love about it, is one of the things is to get the most out of your partnership. It's a partnership game. And I think too many people lose sight of this. Mitch, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. It's been so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming. It was really fun. Thanks so much for letting me join you. You guys are great. So many of my friends are enjoying your show. I enjoy your show. It's great for everyone. It's great for Bridge. Keep doing what you're doing, and I will be a listener. So thanks again. And that's the show. Many thanks to our guest, Mitch Dunnitz. Sorry Partner is produced by Catherine Harris. Our theme music was composed by Jocelyn Starts and produced by Daniel Graboy. Thank you also to our friend, Larry Cohen. Send your bridge stories and comments to sorrypartnerpodcast at gmail.com or at sorrypartnerpodcast on Instagram or send us a voice message. And please consider supporting the show. These links and a link to our merch store are under the episode description in your app, on the website, or wherever you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. But be nice, or we'll call the director. Until next week, play well. May all your finesses be on side. And remember, as Mitch says, aim to become 1% better every year and be the best partner you can be. Thank you, partner. Thank you, partner. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.